0: Welcome to Village Church of Gurney Podcast. This week, we continue on in our series, Faithful Witness in Exile, Daniel 1-6. The name of this sermon is called King Over All, and Pastor David will be preaching from Daniel 4. Let's join Pastor David now. Please meet me in Daniel chapter 4. Page 879 in the church Bible provided for you there. Daniel 4. We've been going through this series, Faithful Witness in Exile. What does it mean to live as a faithful witness for Jesus following our King while pilgrims passing through this world and pilgrims on mission for this world? How do we stay faithful? Daniel chapter 4, page 879 if you're using the church Bible. Let me parachute drop us into verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. Verse 4 gets us into the feet, into the sandals, if you will, of Nebuchadnezzar and look through his eyes at ease in his house and prospering in his palace and it's hard to overemphasize just how on top of the world not only babylon but nebuchadnezzar truly was that babylon in the ancient world was this this icon of military strength and power and glory and might that babylon was this rectangularly shaped city with uh, boasted 8 Gates, strong and firm, with all the carving engraved images of the Babylonian gods. It had an intricate set of double walls, 20 plus feet thick each, so wide, so firm, so strong that chariots could pass as they drove on top of these walls around the city. As, as Nebuchadnezzar is looking out, kind of overseeing this place of might and power with a moat around the city, deep and full of water, it declared, just try to conquer us. <laughs> and Babylon had this long track record of other nations that it had conquered and destroyed, and God's people, the Jewish people, were among the most recent of, Babylonian, uh, of the Babylonian conquest and destruction. God's people are in exile their city is destroyed. They are displaced, stripped of their names and their culture, inculturated to the ways of, of Babylon. Strength, power. But not only was it a sign of uh, military strength and power, but Nebuchadnezzar was their king. He was known for both of his strength and for his uh, building genius. Uh, it, was, it was said that Nebuchadnezzar's wife was a little bit homesick. She was missing the mountains of media that would be uh, current-day Azerbaijan, kind of northern Iran area on the, on the globe today. She was missing home. So he built her uh, what were called the Hanging Gardens, which actually were one of the wonders of the seven ancient world, because he could. He had the money to do it. He had the command to have it done. Uh, he had that kind of, of excess spending that at his whim and at his will... One of the wonders of the ancient world was built and constructed and formed. You are on top of the world if you are Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. One of the archaeological finds as Babylon is is excavated and looked at today was that the very bricks that built this city had inscribed on it Nebuchadnezzar's uh, signature, if you will, Nebuchadnezzar's inscription that read, Babylon, Babylon. I strengthen and establish the name of my reign forever. That every single brick laid in this city cried out the glory of Nebuchadnezzar. The stones cry out his praise, they declare his might. That this great city, which all of its inhabitants found refuge in and hope in and security in and strength in and identity in, he was the king. He's on the top of the top. So you see him now surveying the, his kingdom that all nations feared, all of it pointing to and reflecting to his glory. He's living the dream. But Nebuchadnezzar's dream is about to become his worst nightmare. It all takes a turn, and a turn for the worst. Look at this. Look at verse 5. Verse 5, Nebuchadnezzar continues from this first person recounting. He says, I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, and the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, and they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Sounds a lot like chapter 2, doesn't it? Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, verse 8, Daniel came in before me. He who was named Belshazzar, after the name of my gods, Nebuchadnezzar says, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. I told Daniel the dream, saying, O Belshazzar, uh, chief of the magicians, Because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me. Tell me the visions of my dream that I saw in their interpretation. Uh, The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree. A tree. Verse 10. A tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong and its top reached to the heavens it was visible to the, to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shelter under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw the visions of my head, verse 13, as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, an angelic messenger, came down from heaven he proclaimed aloud and said, Chop down the tree. Lop off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump. Verse 15. Leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beast's in the grass of the earth let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him and let 7 periods of time pass over him the sentence is by the decree of the watchers the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw as he's speaking to Daniel. And you, O Belshazzar, tell me the interpretation. Because all wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are. You're able. For the spirit of the holy gods is in you. That's the dream. And you can see it in your imagination, can't you? This tree tall and proud, that all the ends of the earth can see it, all the ends of the earth can see its glory and its might. It's reaching to the heavens. That This tree that grew would have weathered the the storms of the seasons uh, year after year, that it's established and firm, its roots grow deep, that all the beasts of the field find refuge under its wings, if you will, of its branches. All the birds of the heaven find their home in it, It's abundant in fruit and helpful to all those around it. It's glorious. It's strong. It's powerful. It's mighty. It's at the top of the world. But all of a sudden, this angelic messenger comes and tells Nebuchadnezzar in this dream that this tree will be chopped down, cut down, yet a stump will remain. And that image, think of that, a stump, maybe dozens of feet wide, but yet now only inches high, just the shadow of its former glory, bound in bronze and iron, humbled to the ground. That which used to be glorious and helpful for all, all creation, all creatures look to it and see its glory and its praise, now is just a former glimpse of its, of its former glory, humbled to the earth, cut down and destroyed. That's the dream. And did you notice there was a little bit of shift? The dream, uh, is it about a tree or is it not about a tree? (laughs) Sure. Did you catch uh, verse 15? That little shift, that little change, leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Now look at this. Let him, him, It's talking about the tree, the stump, cut down. But now... Let him be with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts of the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. And as this dream is coming to King Nebuchadnezzar, you start to wonder as the reader, who's the hymn? Who is this tree referring to? And I think Nebuchadnezzar probably had a good sense, a good guess, and he's hungry to know from Daniel, what does this mean? We ask, what does this mean? Who is the hymn that is referred to in this tree that's cut down and the stump is left? Daniel answers in verse 22, it's you. It's you, Nebuchadnezzar. You're the tree. You are the tree, tall and proud, mighty and glorious. Through all the ends of the earth, look and see your glory. All the inhabitants of Babylon find refuge under your wings. It's a declaration of your glory and your strength. But this tree that's going to be cut down and lopped down, the angelic messenger coming down from heaven as God came down in the Tower of Babel, this desire to be built up and established that our, that our name and our glory might be seen. God comes down Genesis chapter 11. The angelic messenger comes down Daniel chapter 4 and tells him this tree is going to be cut down. Daniel says, it's you. It's you. You're the tree. And Nebuchadnezzar, who is absolutely living the dream in the ancient world, everything was his. His command was done. His power was feared. His name was great. It's inscribed on the very bricks that built this city. The stones cry out his glory and his praise. Yet now, a stump. His dream is becoming his absolute worst nightmare. But watch how this continues to unfold. Verse 19. Verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while. And his thoughts alarmed him. The king, Nebuchadnezzar, said to Daniel, named Belshazzar, Let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you, Belshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. Now, verse 19 is a big twist in this story. You might read this and miss it, but notice Daniel's dismayed, he's alarmed, Nebuchadnezzar is comforting him. Daniel, don't let the dream and the interpretation alarm you. And then Daniel says, man, Nebuchadnezzar, I wish, this in, I wish this outcome was not for you, but for your enemies. And you say, hold up. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa! What do you mean, Daniel? <laughs> Daniel, you might, you might read this and think, wake up. Do you know who you're speaking to? you would think, you would expect that Daniel would relish this moment, that he would hear the interpretation of this dream, and he would be hard to wipe the smile off his face. This is Nebuchadnezzar. This is the same Nebuchadnezzar that just conquered your people, that just destroyed your city, that took uh, 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 your holy things and, and, and brings them into his temple. This is the same Nebuchadnezzar that stripped your name That is force-feeding you an entirely new way, an entirely new culture, an entirely new set of beliefs. This is the same Nebuchadnezzar. Chapter 1, refuse my menu and you just might lose your head. Chapter 2, tell me my dream or off with your limbs. Chapter 3, bow to my image or burn in the furnace. And you might say, Daniel, why in the world are you troubled? Why are you dismayed? Nebuchadnezzar is someone to cancel. It's someone to relish his demise. This is someone that that you would think Daniel and his friends would have been fantasizing about Nebuchadnezzar's destruction. This ought to bring Daniel joy and happiness. This should be a wonderful thing that finally, finally evil Nebuchadnezzar is going to come crumbling down. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. And you would expect Daniel to relish this moment, yet he's troubled. Why? Because God's merciful heart is in Daniel's heart. Daniel loves Nebuchadnezzar. He cares for Nebuchadnezzar, that the scandalous, upside down, shocking, even troubling mercy of God, the mercy of God for our enemies, the mercy of God even for evildoers, even for wrongdoers. God's mercy in pursuit of this world, that mercy is in Daniel's heart. And Daniel hears the interpretation of this dream, and he realizes that this dream is forecasting Nebuchadnezzar's absolute humbling and undoing, and he's troubled by it. See the complexity of the mercy and love of God's heart. Just as Daniel and his friends are sent into exile, so is Jesus Christ sent into this world. The very world that he created, yet the very world that did not receive him but rejected him, spat on him, crucified him. On mission for us. Daniel is sent, and his merciful heart is reflective of God's merciful heart, even for our worst enemies. And you might be thinking at this point, yeah, 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 yeah. But where, listen, where's justice? Where's the justice in this? Nebuchadnezzar is evil. He has done wrong. He has harmed other people. He does have to be held to account. Where's the justice? Verses 24 and 25. That's where it is. Verses 24 and 25. Daniel goes on to describe to Nebuchadnezzar, this is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the most high which has come upon my lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox. You shall be wet with the dew of heaven and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives to it uh, gives it to whom he will. And it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree. Your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven, not you, heaven rules. It's forecasting his humbling, is forecasting his fall. But notice, notice the same pronouncement that Nebuchadnezzar, justice is coming your way. Do you see that message of justice is not coming through with a relishing smile, but with tears, with tears. Is your view of God's heart big enough to handle both of those at the same time, even for our ultimate enemies, even for things that have been wrong, even for wrongdoers that have done wrong and do need to be held to account. At the very heart of God, reflected through the words of Daniel, are telling Nebuchadnezzar justice actually is coming your way, Nebuchadnezzar, but Daniel is saying that with tears Elsewhere in the Bible, in Ezekiel, God says, I take no pleasure in the death of anyone. This is not a moment to relish and to smile and to to wring his hands and, and return and tell his friends, he's coming down. He's coming down. Daniel is sharing this message with tears of compassion for evil Nebuchadnezzar. Now, at this point, we say, how in the world can you reconcile both justice and mercy? How in the world can you reconcile both? How in the world do the, both of those fit together? Justice and mercy? How could both of those be handed even to our enemies? Some of you might be wrestling of how that's even possible. Others of you, or certainly your friends or family members, are even going to go so far as say, "How dare you? How dare you try to put those two things together for the Nebuchadnezzars of the world? People who have done wrong, who have made commands that brought about the harm of others. The bully, the abuser, the evil dictator. How dare you offer both justice and mercy and, uphold and, and extend the courtesy of humanity even to the most evil of all of history? How dare you hold both? How do those two things fit together? They fit together ultimately Through the door of repentance that leads to restoration at the cross of Jesus Christ. This is what the gospel offers, which is completely different from anything that you're going to find anywhere else. Any other religion. You're not going to find this scrolling online. You're not going to find this in films or things in the world today. The only place you're going to find this is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That justice and mercy are not enemies of one another, but they're doormen. They're doormen that hold the door of repentance wide open that all of sinful humanity all of sinful humanity are <laughs> need to walk through that door of repentance and are called to walk through that door of p- repentance do you see what Daniel's doing listen to listen to how he puts it verse 27 verse 27 therefore o king let my counsel be acceptable to you break off your sins break off your sins you see, he's not downplaying Nebuchadnezzar's wrongs. He's saying, break off your sins. What you've done to others is wrong. It's harmful. It's, it's a sin. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. Respond to your neighbor rightly, rightly, that, they, uh, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Do you see how these two things fit together? repentance is the door that leads to restoration, that when we walk through it and find ourselves at the foot of the cross, we are able to receive the restorative, scandalous mercy and grace of God. Justice and mercy are the doormen to repentance. On the one hand, justice looks at the heart of Nebuchadnezzar, and he looks at my heart. He looks at all of our hearts. And justice says to us, you're so broken, you're so lost. There's so many things that you have done wrong toward others. There's so many things that you've left undone that were right That you sidestepped justice says to us, you have to walk through the door of repentance. There's no other way. You have to walk through. Wrongs can't be swept under the rug. You have to walk through this door of repentance. Mercy is the doorman on the other side, not enemies, but friends to one another. Mercy says, and I want you to come through. I want you that you're so loved, you're so cared for, you're so pursued. You are in the the eyes and heart of a merciful God that mercy says, I want you to come through. Even you, even Nebuchadnezzar, God's scandalous mercy says, come, come and receive restoration. The door is wide open. All that Nebuchadnezzar has to do is to step through it, to step through in repentance. And he's going to find himself at the foot of the cross. He's going to find himself hearing the words of Jesus as he's dying on the cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Forgive them. How how can he say that? How dare he say that? These are the Romans that put nails through his hands. Uh, these These are evil people that mocked him and beat him and oppressed him, that spat on him. This is sinful humanity that's nailing him and holding him to the cross. Crown of thorns dug in his head. Spear in his side, yet out of the lips of Jesus for his enemies, he says, would you forgive them, Father? That's justice and mercy at the same time, because Jesus is absorbing all of God's righteous and fitting justice on himself. He's taking our place. He's swapping places with us, that if he absorbs God's justice, we now have access to God's perfect, restorative mercy. This is the gospel. Is our view of God big enough to, to see how these components fit together even for our enemies. Scandalously so. Shockingly so. And that mercy is held out even to Nebuchadnezzar. All he has to do is take it. All he has to do is repent and receive it and step through confession that he might find restorative mercy and grace. Daniel holds it out to him. We see it in verse 27. Break off your sins. That you're that these may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity, that this dream might actually not come true if you turn and look to the king of kings. Minutes roll by. Daniel is probably dismissed. Hours roll by. I'm sure that was an anxious day for Nebuchadnezzar. Days roll by. Weeks roll by. The months start to roll by. Makes you wonder if Nebuchadnezzar, if this was a daily weight on his mind and his shoulders or perhaps he had forgotten that day and as time goes by, maybe he thought, maybe he wondered, we don't know. Uh, Maybe I sidestepped the terror of this dream. Maybe I'm sneaking through. A year rolls by. Verse 29. At the end of 12 months... We're a year in the future after this dream and its interpretation. At the end of 12 months, Nebuchadnezzar was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I, I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? Is this not great my glory and my power. And we say, no, 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 Nebuchadnezzar, you're taking the wrong path. You're choosing the wrong way. And in his pride, he reaches out to that same fruit that our first parents, Adam and Eve, reached out to. That we might become like gods, knowing good and evil. That wisdom and knowledge and, 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 and access to the throne might be ours, apart from God. And they take and they eat of that fruit. Nebuchadnezzar is reaching for that same fruit. The same prideful heart, Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, where people came together and said, let us build a city that we might reach to the heavens. He's climbing that same tower. He's building that same prideful city in his heart. He's reaching out. He's scanning his own kingdom. The very bricks say, Babylon, I built and established and strengthened the name of my reign Forever. And as he sinks his teeth into the pride of taking glory for his own kingdom, his own power, his own might, look at this. Uh, Verse 31 While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know, until you know that the Most High rules with the kingdom of man and gives it to whom he will. Immediately, immediately, verse 33, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws. Nebuchadnezzar has blurred the lines between God and man. Now the lines between man and beast are blurred in him. That as he is living the dream, he's on top of the world. And this dream shows him that this can become your worst nightmare. And Nebuchadnezzar's only hope, his only grace, his is his, his only hope that this is not going to land on him. And his only hope through this is the mercy of God. That's the only way forward. And as he brushes that aside and he takes glory for himself, now we see in these verses that his nightmare has become his reality. He becomes a beast. Or in some ways, you can think about it, it, that the beast that he actually always was takes full fruit in his life. He's handed over to his sin. That when we reach for that fruit, I want to be God. I want to be king. Do you see what happens? The beast that existed inside of us all along takes over. He's changed. That he who was on top of the world is now a stump. Just a a shadow of his former glory, humbled to the ground. At his kingdom that was helpful and glorious for all. In him, he is humbled in it. His nightmare becomes a reality. But look, that's not how the story ends. (laughs) Verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. He looks up. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the Maker of heaven. He lifts his eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? Verse 36, at the same time, my reason returned to me. Do you see him stepping through the the doors of repentance into restoration? Do you see him before our eyes transformed from humbled to child? Verse 36, at the same time, my reason returned to me. For the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor actually returned to me. My counselors and lords sought me and I was established in my kingdom. Still more greatness was added to me. Now, verse 37, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor not myself, not my greatness, not how great I art, but the King of heaven, the God of gods, the Lord of lords. For all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And Nebuchadnezzar has just lived that. And these final words, bookend the very first words of this chapter. Go back to the beginning, chapter 4, verse 1. That now, through the eyes of transformed and changed and saved Nebuchadnezzar, he declares to us from this testimony of his transformation, King Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth peace, peace, peace peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the most high God has done for me. How great are his signs. How mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. We are hearing the words of a changed person, a saved person, That he who was once humbled as a beast is now considered a child of the king. And we see this incredible turnaround. God keeps doing this throughout history. He takes the Nebuchadnezzars, the evil of the evil, the wicked of the wicked. And he says, would you come into my kingdom? Would you humble yourself and come to me? That only the scandalous mercy and grace of God would want to pursue the Nebuchadnezzars of this world. And only the scandalous mercy of our God can change the Nebuchadnezzars of our world. That his justice and his mercy humble us to the ground. All of us see ourselves in this stump. All of us recognize that if I'm really honest with myself, I see Nebuchadnezzar in my heart it's not just reserved for, for the greatest of evildoers throughout history, the Hitlers, the Stalins, the Pol Potts, the Mussolinis. It's reserved for me. I, I deserve God's justice. I deserve to be humbled to the ground. And that reveals in my heart that the beast that exists with inside me. That if it were not for God's grace, I too would be among, I'd be with Nebuchadnezzar with the dew on my back, a beast crawling around, yet, yet, at the same time that God's justice and mercy humbles us, God's grace then pulls us out of the nightmare (laughs) into paradise. It pulls us out of our lowest moments, pulls us out of ourselves into his paradise that we too can be transformed, (laughs) drawn out, pulled out of the nightmare of the beast that exists inside of us into his kingdom as beloved and loved child, sitting at the table, eating the banquet with the king, loved, cared for, chosen, pursued, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, all because of God's mercy and his grace. And you get to the end of this chapter and you start to see the juxtaposition, King Nebuchadnezzar on top of the world, on the greatest city in the ancient world, on the height of all of his reign, supreme, humbled to the ground, and you start to realize who actually is the true king of kings. That all of the power and might and majesty that Nebuchadnezzar boasted, there is a king standing behind him who's king over all kings, Lord over all lords. And all of us are humbled in his presence, and then all of us who receive his grace are welcomed in. Who is a God like this? Who is a God like our God? This is your God. He's king of kings and Lord of lords. He's the true king. And if that is true, if that is true, the only response that's fitting for us is to humble ourselves. To humble ourselves to the God who is king over all. I think that's what this chapter is telling us and holding out to us, calling us to do. Humble yourself. Humble yourself to the God who's king over all, all kings, all nations, all things. He rules. He reigns. His dominion is forever. And the best way to respond to that, to his majesty, is humility. The best way to respond to his glory is my meekness. The best way to come before a holy God is to say, Lord, if it were not for your mercy and grace alone, I'd fall apart. It's you that has to pull me up out of the pit, out of, out of the nightmare that is my life, out of the beast that exists inside of me into your loving grace and into your arms. And do you see how willing God is to do that? Yo, if he's going to chase the Nebuchadnezzars of the world, he can chase you and me. In his love and his mercy, he wants you. He wants me. Humble yourself. And that call to humble ourselves before God That touches every single one of us. There might be some of you here today that maybe you're still checking out Christianity. Maybe your parents have put all their eggs in the basket of Jesus, but you're not sure yet. Maybe your grandparents are following the way of Jesus, but you're not really sure yet. Maybe you've been coming on the arm of a friend. We're happy that you're here. Maybe you're checking things out. We're glad that you're doing that, but maybe you haven't decided yet. I don't know if I've taken that step through that door of repentance to stand firmly in the restorative grace of Jesus. I don't know if I've made that decision. Why not today? Why not today? That door is a well-trod path that I have stepped through, that many others have stepped through, all those who name the name of Jesus. Do you, read, do you see Christianity is not God looking for the top of the class that we've achieved our way. And Christianity is, is simply those who are acknowledging, I am Nebuchadnezzar. I'm the beast. I'm the one in the field eating grass. That The only hope I have is God's mercy and His grace. That door is wide open. It's calling you. Jesus is calling you. That as justice searches our hearts, it humbles us. And that's a healthy thing. Don't feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit on your heart. Don't let it become a shame that drives you away from Jesus. Let it become a conviction that pushes you near Jesus. And then let mercy grab your hand and walk you through that door of salvation to hear the words of the king saying, I want you. I want you in this kingdom. I want you at the table. I'm pursuing you, and I've been pursuing you longer than you might have realized. That Daniel and his friends, do you see this great recycling of God's sovereignty? Daniel and his friends are sent into exile, this horrible experience, but do you see God's loving heart through that? He loves Nebuchadnezzar. He loves Babylon. That means he loves you, and he loves me. And that door of salvation is wide open. Humble yourself before the king and find that this is a king that when you humble yourself before him, he doesn't cross his arms and put his hands on his hips and furrow his eyebrows and say it's about time. No, 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 no. He opens his arms. He lifts you up. He draws you in and he throws a banquet, a feast, a celebration in heaven when all of us who are lost sheep, when we come home, humble yourself before the God who is king over all and come in, come in. Come into his banquet table. Come into his family. And of course, this is a message absolutely for those of you who are checking out Christianity. And maybe today is the day to take that step to receive the mercy of Jesus Christ. But as believers, many of you are following Jesus for years or decades. This is also true for us. Humble yourself under the God who is king over all. And that's going to give you access to God's peace that you can face some challenging times, some dark times, some difficult times. Think about Daniel and his friends. Despite all appearances, nothing on the surface level is showing that God's in control. They're in exile. They've just been conquered. Yet by the end of this chapter, you realize that when you humble yourself before this God, despite all appearances, he is in control. He still is Lord. He still is King. And that means whatever you might face, Whatever chaos, whatever brokenness in the world, whatever brokenness in your world, you can face it with peace and a sense of calling, knowing that God still reigns. He still guides. He still directs. He's still with you. Because, my goodness, if we got Aslan behind our shoulder, we can face anything that comes our way. So may we humble ourselves before this great God, this great king, to step into his family, maybe for the first time, or to step forward with a sense of peace and confidence that he's with us no matter what. Let's pray. Father, we, we need that. We need you. We sense and know, perhaps now, maybe more than ever, that we need a king who rules and reigns. We need a God who is Lord over all. Thank you. Lord, that you are that God, and you've come for us. May we declare, along with now our brother Nebuchadnezzar, that you are great. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Village Church of Gurney's podcast. If you would like to know more about Village Church, you can go to our Facebook page under Village Church of Gurney or go to www.bcgurney.org.